When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Friends, I'll be there for you. That's what friends say, right? Well, speaking of friends, you know, do you ever wonder how two totally different people with completely different backgrounds end up at the exact same place in the exact same profession? Try this. One from a hard scrabble childhood in the Bronx, Mm -hmm. the other who grew up on a small farm in Beverly Hills. Um, (laughs) Both nearly the same age. He's older. Growing up on opposite coasts, but years later, both end up as top business journalists at Fox Business. Have you guessed it yet? I'm talking about me and Charlie Gasparino. Welcome to Everyone Talks to Liz, our great podcast. You know, we get a lot of Twitter followers who are a little obsessed with us. They either love us or love to hate us. Love to hate mostly Charlie, though. And they're always asking questions or lobbing criticism. So we thought, you know what? Let's do a deep dive into who Liz and Charlie really are to thrill our fans and and humanize us to our haters. Now, in order to do a true, fair, and balanced interview here, I'm going to hand it over to my podcast producer, Tanya Joseph, who's going to play moderator slash referee. Ready, Tanya? Oh, I was born ready. <laughs> By the way, she has never handed anything over to anybody on TV. So what, what an honor. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It's time to merge the East Coast, Charlie, and the West Coast, Liz. To What was Biggie? Was Biggie East or West? Biggie Smalls? Biggie? Yeah. He was East Coast. He's the East Coast. So I'm yeah. kind of like Biggie and you're kind of like Tupac? Tupac was, yeah, maybe. <laughs> All right, back to the podcast. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. (laughs) Okay, giving everyone an idea of how despite all odds, two different roads led to the same destination. Mm. The top of the journalism ladder with both working at Fox Business. Mm -hmm. So this will be our little version of 20 questions where I ask you both a variety of the same questions and you have to answer truthfully. Okay. Mm. All right. We're ready. All right, let the games begin. So, Charlie, yeah. I want to take this all the way back to the beginning. So, where did you grow up? Tell us about your childhood. Uh, I lived in the Bronx until I was about seven, six, seven years old. I grew up in a town called Yorktown Heights, New York. I, it has the dubious distinction, or maybe the, the great distinction, of being the hometown of Alexandria uh, Cortez. Uh, we went to the same high school. Of course, I'm just a little older than her, but in any event, we don't have to dwell on that. Um, My dad was an iron worker. Uh, He was out of work a lot in the 70s because of the financial crisis. You guys are too young to remember this. But New York City basically stopped, stood still in the 1970s. No building, nothing. So my dad bartended and drove a cab through the – he actually – Drove a cab a lot through the 60s. It was his second job. But then he took it up again in the 70s and bartended. And, uh, you know, we made ends meet. I'm the first person actually to graduate from high school. Like my dad 
went to a vocational high school, Samuel Gompers High School in the Bronx. My mom went to a, a vocational high school. So basically they have a, about a, a 10th grade formal education and then went into the vocational uh, trade school route. Um, but one thing they both had was an aspiration for me and my brother to go to college. And, um, you know, it, I, I have to admit it wasn't an aspiration that was like stop everything. We're going to you know put all our resources into you guys going to college. It wasn't quite like that at all. You know, me and my brother worked at a, at a young age. We, uh, you know, we were typical kids. We played a lot of sports. We chased girls. We worked. Uh, we weren't – we were more jocks than students. But, you know, in the house it was – noted that you had to read a lot. I'm from Beverly Hills, actually. Oh, I'm surprised. I was born <laughs> I was born though um, at yeah. Englewood Hospital in Los Angeles. Not a great area, but right near the fabulous forum, as mm-hmm. as some of you may know out there. My dad was a surgeon and he had moved to Baldwin Hills, which was not as fancy as Beverly Hills, but something drove them out the day after I was born. And that was a dam that broke and flooded all of Baldwin Hills. Wow. I mean, it was a, it was a tragedy. It was horrible. So they set about looking for a new house, and they only had one interest: great school system, yeah, public school system. So they picked Beverly Hills, and again, this was 1963. And um, I had three older sisters. I have them, so they're four girls. And then my little brother Brooke arrived. We call him Jesus. <laughs> Although sometimes he acts like the Antichrist. Uh, but uh, we were a family of seven. And, uh, you know, my dad was a surgeon, but he grew up very, very poor in Canada. And um, he worked like all get out along with his eight siblings. Wow. And his whole goal and my mom's whole goal in life was to give us a better life. And uh, college was an absolute no questions asked. You're going in in our household. Yeah. So you mentioned school. So Charlie, public school or private school? What was public. schooling like? For no, you? Pu- public. And you know, it's kind of weird because you know I was reading some stuff about AOC. Her parents wanted to move to Yorktown because it had good public schools. One of the great things about that town, and it was it was a very mu- middle class, working class town. I mean, it had poor people. It had it was it was somewhat ra- racially mixed. It was not pure. You know, it wasn't a rich town, but what was good about it is that it had an IBM research facility called Kichewan. So that plant supplied the tax base. The schools in Yorktown Heights were very, very good. There was a lot of money poured into it, and the taxes were much more reasonable than other places because of that. So it was a great place to move. We almost didn't do it. My father had a down payment on a house in the Bronx in Throg's Neck, you know, was this close to moving there. My grandmother, for some reason, didn't like stairs. Don't ask me why. So there were stairs in the house, and she told my parents not to buy it. Okay. And then they bought this little kind of small house in a kind of little industrial area right in front of the uh, the UPS. And the school system was good. Um I probably should have made better use of it, though. <laughs> <laughs> but you ended up in journalism. So where right. along that way did you realize, hmm, this is something I want to do? What age were you? Uh, I was a senior in high school. My father hated journalists. You got to realize my father was a blue-collar Republican. He was a Nixon-Reagan Democrat. He was a, he was a blue-collar. He wasn't – he was a registered Democrat that voted Republican. He thought the media, particularly Carl Bernstein and Bob Woodward, who I'm lucky enough to have met and know a little bit in my career, he thought they destroyed the country by taking – get rid of Nixon. 
But for some reason, I like journalism. And I, you know, I remember as a kid watching a Jimmy Stewart movie about this journalist who got a guy out of jail who was, um, who was you know, wrongly, wrongly convicted. Accused, yeah. And uh, I remember telling my dad, hey, you know, this, this guy must be a millionaire. He goes, no, no, no. He just uh, did the right thing. This is what you do in that profession. And I kind of got hooked on it. And then in high school, I started writing a little bit. I was a decent writer. And I kind of went that way. And I, you know, it's interesting. My parents did not want me to be a journalist. My, just so you know, my brother's a doctor. He's the chairman of medicine at Brooklyn Hospital. So I'm kind of the black sheep in that, in that sense. Uh, they wanted me to be a lawyer. But I got hooked on this. And I got lucky also that I saw business journalism as being something that would actually take off. Right. And what I about saw that. You, Liz? Well, I'm a product of all public schools, public uh, elementary, public high school, and uh, public university. Went to UC Berkeley. Um, and I do have to say that that growing up, I knew in sixth grade I wanted to be a journalist. Why? My dad brought home one of the first video cameras that had been made, and he loved gadgets. He just loved gadgets. And he brought that home, and we pounced on it, I and my uh, four siblings, and they all wanted to pretend to be Barbara Streisand and sing into the microphone, or my little brother wanted to pretend he was Mario Andretti. <laughs> I wanted to pretend to be the interviewer, the Barbara Walters. So I would interview all of my siblings, and they would indulge in me, and, okay, fine, I'll pretend I'm, you know, Ginger from Gilligan's Island, and I would conduct a very really? serious interview. Yeah, I always liked Ginger so, as opposed to Marianne. Oh, see, I'm a Marianne girl. Um, but <laughs> so honestly, I knew from a very early age I wanted to be that person. But that's a big leap from that to certainly, um, you know, being a real journalist. However, I knew all the way through high school, I became the editor of my yearbook staff. And I knew that I wanted to be the person on the scene who was informing people. When I was a little girl, see, such a different background than you, Charlie, my parents were Democrats who were big-time Kennedy supporters. They hated the Vietnam War, though, absolutely hated it, and they despised Nixon. So they thought that Carl Bernstein, they were going for one thing, the truth, and I just knew that this is what I wanted to do in life. And, um, you know, my my parents encouraged me, although when you grow up in a in a Jewish household in America, you can become one of three things, a doctor, a lawyer, or a failure. So I guess I, as a journalist, I'm, I'm in the failure category. Um, but like Charlie, black sheep, you know, uh, my the rest of my uh, siblings are all in the industry. And when you say industry in TV, L.A., it's yeah. it's entertainment. Yeah, yeah. Right. they're all musicians in entertainment <clears throat> or entertainment. And so that's that's where I said to myself, I've got to do this. And it was almost like this weird magnetic draw. My dad's a surgeon. My mom was a Shakespearean trained theater actress from the Royal Academy. Um, both grew up very, very um, modest means. My mom had earthen floors in a tiny house in northern Saskatchewan, Canada. Ooh. So, yeah, that's that was their background. They just worked their tuchuses off and uh, became Beverly Hills uh, parents uh, to us. And both of you guys worked your tuchuses off, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, Liz, you went to Berkeley. Yeah. Charlie, where did you attend? Uh, Pace University. Mm -hmm. And then I took a year off and I worked for a weekly newspaper in Peekskill, New York. Uh, and um, then I went to the University of Missouri. It was always my I, – I, I was thinking of – there were three journalism schools I, I was thinking about applying to. Um, I, I, it was Northwestern, Columbia, and University of Missouri, the three you know, best journalism schools in the country. And uh, yeah, I was looking at, you know uh, – 
rating, ranking, and cost. That was one of the best investments of my life. Okay. So, Liz, you're out of college, and it's time to find a job. Yeah. Where were you looking, and what was your first paying job in the business? Well, when I was my senior year at Berkeley in a class called Broadcast Journalism, (laughs) uh, we had a professor named Andrew Stern who had worked at ABC and CBS in the glory days in the 1970s. And he would regale us with stories about Cronkite and all these incredible – you know, real on the ground, what's it like to be a broadcast journalist stories. And of course, I was already bitten by the bug. But he also showed us Edward R. Murrow, old See It Now tapes. So there oh, was, wow. you know, Harvest of Shame about the plight of migrant workers. There was uh, the Milo Radulovich story, which is the, um, right. the, the episode about the uh, Russian immigrant who was serving in the military very proudly. And Joseph McCarthy, the senator, went after him during the Red Scare. And I, I watched Murrow. And I realized that while the pen might be mightier than the sword, television had the power to be mightier than everything because of its reach. But that whole Edward R. Murrow thing at CBS News, I said, I want to work at CBS. So I marched into my local station. I applied for an internship at KCBS in Los Angeles right there on on Sunset and Gower, right near Sunset and Vine, Hollywood and Vine. Really nice neighborhood back then. Not, And uh, I didn't care. I wanted to be there. I interned in the news research library. And upon graduation, I um, I applied, and eventually, I just kept haranguing them. I got an assignment to be a production assistant, and my job, my first job, was a uh, paying job. Was I don't know about the same fifteen grand, and uh, it was minimum wage, whatever that worked out to be. And um, I have to tell you, the first thing they told me to do was every day, four a.m. Go to a newsstand. This was before computers. That's how old we are. Um, Go to a newsstand, pick up 400 newspapers, Wall Street Journal, L.A. Times, L.A. Weekly, Hollywood Reporter. Pick 400 of them up and then distribute them through a city block long building of CBS News. That was my first job. Wow. Charlie, what was your first job? Um, well, I worked at the, this this weekly newspaper in between graduate and undergraduate. It was called the Community Current. And uh, – it was just covered Peekskill. And, you know, Peekskill is this crazy town. I grew up right near there. And it's, uh, you know, it had all the elements of all the bad elements in New York, some of the good elements. Had a drug problem, had a prostitution problem, had a business community problem. <laughs> great news town. Yeah, it was a great <laughs> news town. And I, I did a lot of that. After I got out of graduate school, now you have to realize when I was in graduate school, I took a ton of economics. I just, because I wanted, I figured this. I said, listen, if I don't get a job, in journalism, I'm going to get a job, you know, working for IBM or you know, back then IBM was a big company. I'm going to make money somehow, right? So I took ton of economics. People used to say, "Why, you know, you're a graduate student in journalism? Why don't you take the history of journalism?" I said, I, "You know, I'm taking macro econ, micro. I mean, I took mm-hmm. what was the equivalent of a minor in econ. So I got out of out of journalism school, and it's interesting that that type of financial, knowing that financial stuff, made me very marketable. And I, I took a job. Writing about bonds at Bond World. Oh, I, I just fell asleep. Yeah, I, I am telling you though, <laughs> it was it was it was deadly. But I will tell you this: if I didn't take the job at Bond World because of the training yeah, I had, yeah. plus the economic stuff I had, I would never have broken all the stories I broke during the financial crisis when I was at CNBC, which was every major story. because yeah. I learned the guts of the financial system. At that place. Liz, so he mentioned all the places mm-hmm. that he worked in his yeah. career. 
Tell us about some of the cities that you worked in before making it to New York. Well, I'm so interested to hear all the cities that Charlie worked in. A lot of a lot of kids today, kids today, oh, they, they want to just stay cozy in, in their big city, New York, L.A. Oh, I don't want to move. I don't want to leave my family. Let me tell you something. Move and keep moving. Yeah. Uh, my first on-air job, so I was at Channel 2, and everybody there at the time, and by the way, I was a production assistant. I would drive Paula Zahn around. She was the weekend anchor. Ann Curry was the morning anchor. Um Pat O'Brien, the sports guy, was the six o'clock anchor, Jim Lampley, and I would pick their brains as I was driving them around. They'd say, get out of here. Go to the Midwest. So I targeted the Midwest with my little resume tape, and um, I got tons of rejection letters, which, yes, I have saved to this day. <laughs> and, um, I, you know, Wisconsin, Madison, everybody re- rejected me, but I was only picking the Midwest where I'd never really been, and I got Columbus, Ohio. I studied up on the town. I went in for the interview, which, by the way, I paid my own ticket, and they didn't want me there. They're like, we don't have anything open, but I just had to start looking. I needed to show up and sell myself to these people, so I worked in Columbus, Ohio at the ABC station, three and a half years there. Then I moved to Cleveland, ABC, News Channel 5, Scripps Howard Station, which was the 13th largest market, and from there, after three years... And I, I was so itchy feet. I kept thinking, I've got to get to the network. I've got to get to the network. Uh, I moved to Boston, NBC, WHDH. And finally, I said, okay, I, I, unlike Charlie, I did not go for business news. I was murders, drug busts, explosions. I covered Category 5, Hurricane Andrew. I wanted to be where the biggest stories were. But it kind of wears on you at a certain point. And I finally said, wait a minute. I need to get to New York or L.A. now. So... Nobody was hiring in New York, and the man I had met who I eventually married had in Boston had moved to help launch MSNBC in 1996. He's a producer. And so I was just trying anything in New York other than local news, which all rejected me. And my agent calls up and says, hey, CNBC wants ah, to hire you. And I'm thinking, the hell is that? You know. So I looked. This was 1998 before the dot-com total bubble burst. And uh, you know, it was very niche broadcasting at the time. And I remembered looking at the ticker thinking – what is that? Although it was breaking out. It wasn't quite niche. CNBC mm-hmm. was setting the agenda on a lot of stuff back then, particularly as the dot-com bubble started blowing up. I mean, yeah. it became must-see TV for the masses. Yeah. I mean, because, because I literally arrived gone. five minutes before yeah, that, that happened. That's amazing. And that's so amazing. I, I sold myself on them. And they kept saying, do you think you can pick this up? And I said, listen, I'm in local news. Uh, when I go to a building collapse by 6 o'clock and the evening news I know how many pounds per square inch it takes to crumble an I-beam. I'm an architect. Uh, they they somehow managed to accept that manure, and uh, they, they hired me for 13 weeks. They said, you get 13 weeks to prove yourself, and I stretched it to nine years. Nice. So going from hiring, let's talk about firing. Mm. What was it like your first time getting fired, or have you ever been fired? I've, uh, yeah, I don't want to talk, because you never know. <laughs> but I've not been fired yet. Um, listen, I've left a lot of jobs. Um, the hardest thing that ever happened to me. So when I left, I went to the bond. I went to Bond World. Then I went to something called the Bond Buyer, where I started doing more investigative stuff, and I built a career as an investigative reporter. I always wanted to go back to Newsday. Newsday was a great paper, and I always wanted to be an investigative reporter covering City Hall, particularly the finance side of City Hall. That's where most of the scandals occur, right? I finally get my shot, and I get to Newsday, 
1995, right? I'm there. I'm breaking all these stories. I make The Wood. You ever hear The Wood? The Wood is the front page, right? I make it a, break it a big story about how they're going to privatize and sell the World Trade mm-hmm. Center. I make The Wood a couple times. And then the paper goes out of business. That to, I mean, that was like a firing to me. That was like mm-hmm. my heart was broken, and I didn't know what to do. Um, I had some job offers here and there. And then luckily, I got with the Wall Street Journal. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you this about firing. Gee, that's called landing on your feet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I lucked out. I mean, Dan Hertzberg was a top editor there, number two, basically, I ran the newsroom. You know, I sat there, I told him all my stories, told him what I like to do. And he hired me to cover mutual funds. <laughs> you know, what did I know about mutual How funds? How old were you at that point? Uh, so it was in 95. I was um, 35, mm-hmm. you know, something mm-hmm. like that. And, um, you know what was interesting is that um, I didn't I didn't know anything about mutual funds, but I learned a lot about it, and I used that to be an investigative reporter. Um, in television, darling, we don't call it firing; we call it non renewal of contract. <laughs> Columbus, Ohio. I'll remember that when they don't do it. My, my yeah, here, I, I wasn't fired. It just you know, non renewal of contract. Uh, <laughs> I was in Columbus, and uh, I'd been there for about three and a half years. Not too long. Shouldn't have been in there there that long. I should have moved on. So everybody needs a kick in the pants. And I got called in, and the news director, a guy named Bill Payer, says to me, um, I just want to let you know that come Monday, there's going to be an ad in broadcasting and cable. That was back then where you, there, were, there was no online. You would put ads for jobs in right. broadcasting and cable for a weekend anchor job here at Channel 6. And my first thought was, oh, poor Mike. Mike was my co-anchor, and I, I, th- I thought he was saying to me, Mike's going to get fired. Poor, and I said, oh, poor Mike. And he said, Liz, the job's going to be for your chair. And I was like, oh, loser. Um, But I had learned at Channel 2 at KCBS, the main anchor, a guy named John Schubeck, who was like gritty and an old school anchor, had said to me the day I got the job in Columbus and they were giving me a little ice cream party to say goodbye. He said, Elizabeth, do yourself a favor. Make an FU fund when you arrive for your first job. And that's so that when they call you in, because they will in this business, and say you're done, you can just think to yourself, F you, I'm good, no worries, no problem. And he said, and also, don't ever beg for your job, because they've already made their decision. So the minute he said to me, yeah, it's it's for your chair, I looked at him and I said, okay. And he said, okay. And I said, yeah, okay. And I walked out. Everything was fine. Of course, I got home and burst into tears and called my mom screaming. What am I going to do? But um, (laughs) you end up not only on your feet, you can turn any negative into a positive. And what happened? I jumped 13 markets and and got to Cleveland. Looking back at your journey, is there anything you would have done differently or wish you knew in hindsight? Would you change anything? In 2002, the Washington Post wanted to hire me for a job. And it was a great job. They wanted me to go to – the problem was I would have had to go to Washington in three years, which I didn't really want to do. Um, but, you know, I would, have, I would have done some business reporting, reported with the investigative team, which was one of the top in the country. Uh, I spoke with Bob Woodward. I spoke with everybody. Mm. Um, and I said no. I stayed at the Journal. I was in the middle of a major investigation on corporate crimes. And I always wonder, okay, maybe I should have taken that. But, you know, if you miss one – I think I'm – where I want to be kind of in my career. You know, I, I found, I knew, I knew journalism, print journalism was going to have some rough times. I, I basically saw that coming and I made my, I started molding my career to fit, 
the what was going on in the in journalism, which became much more of not just being a print reporter. Some of that that can do print. Someone that could go on TV and break a story. Someone could do a radio, a podcast, whatever. <clears throat> so if I went to the Washington Post, you know, if you really think about it, I might not have went to Newsweek. Yeah, see, mm-hmm. if I didn't go to Newsweek, I probably wouldn't have went to CNBC. And you know, if I didn't go to CNBC, I probably wouldn't be here, <laughs> which may or may not be a good thing. But um, but I but but. I'm here doing very well. You, right. you see what I'm saying? Yeah. So I think that there are almost – listen, there are – these sort of career choices, they're not always – there's not a right or the wrong. Yeah. I think the one right and wrong where you make mistakes is on ethics. Did you screw that person up over – did you do that story in the most most ethical way? Did you, did, you, did you hurt somebody that you shouldn't have hurt in a story? That's kind of where I worry about stuff. And I think a lot about that. And I don't think I've had that issue, you know? Yeah. I I would say for me, I completely agree with you. There's no such thing as a bad move. As long as you're moving and you you end up taking some job that you think was dead end, I guarantee you at some point it will all come full circle and it will have been a better thing that you took that chance. If you work hard at it. I yeah, mean, if you don't absolutely. just give up, yeah. Yeah, um, but I, I, the, only, the only thing for me, and it, it just wouldn't have worked anyway in my life, is that I never got back to do news on the West Coast and to be close to my parents, and we're so close. And then my father died, and I was able to fly back when he was really sick in the hospital, and I remembered saying to him, Dad, I had a book coming out. I said, Dad, Geraldo Rivera is going to give me a book party on Tuesday, but I think I'm going to cancel it because I want to be with you. And he could barely talk because he was intubated. And he, he signaled and he said, I want you to go so that you can tell me about it later. That's nice. And, um, you know, I just – that's the one regret I have. But he – when I articulated it that, Dad, I should be closer to you. I love you so much. He said, Liz, I lived my life. You go live yours. Well, where did you guys meet each other and start working together? Well, what was I, your impression I, of Liz? I, oh, I loved her from day one. Um, really? Because I despised Aww. you. The red hair. <laughs> the red hair stands out. Um, so I was at the Journal, right? I was a print reporter. But I was breaking all these stories that had high TV value. Like I was breaking all the stories about the Martha Stewart insider trading scandal, all the all the stuff on Elliot Spitzer and the crackdown on corporate fraud back in 2002. And I started doing a lot of CNBC, and they would have me get up, you know, god awful early, and I'd go down to the Nasdaq. Remember, it was in the Nasdaq oh, yeah. headquarters, and I and Liz would interview me. <laughs> and um, when I was at CNBC, and uh, she had just left CNBC, and I was still there, and I you know stayed in touch with her, and I was asking, "What is this uh, place Fox like?" And um, she liked it, and she gave it high marks, and when the Day Charlie arrives. First of all, I was so stoked when I heard that Gasparina was coming because, you know, um, I came to Fox Business because there was one thing I hadn't done in my career, and that was go to a startup. Yeah. And granted, we had the Fox brand behind us, but they couldn't tell me where I'd be working, what floor. They didn't have a set built. They, they didn't know who my co-anchor would be. But I just like the people here. And I'd been at CNBC for nine years. They had a contract on the table for me. But I thought, you know, life's too short to stay in the same place. And Kevin McGee, the guy who was running the business channel, said to me, you know, glory goes to those who take chances in life. And my dad, who's no longer with us, used to say, Liz, dive in, even if you don't know how shallow or deep the water is, because that's that's where the real gains can be made. 
So I was there well before Charlie. Not well before, a year or two. Well, when did you arrive? 2010. Okay, I was 2007. Well, it, it started what, when? October 2007. Okay. Don't mess. Please don't fight yeah, me. I'm they, always uh, going to win. So that's two years. You it's two a competition. Years. Yeah. So, but, but when word came that Charlie was coming, I was so happy because, I mean, this is a gritty, tough, nose-to-the-grindstone journalist, shoe leather, the whole thing, fabulous. So I thought, oh, now we're going to really get there. Day one, he arrives. Now, remember, uh, Tiger Woods oh, had yes, left golf. Huge scandal, you know, with the, the the big argument with his wife and the cheating and on the texts and the sexting and all of that. He had been out of golf the day Charlie arrives. He runs on the set. I'm thinking, doesn't he have to go to HR and sign all these papers first, you know, and, I and get a tour? I, I wasn't quite officially on air yet. Like, yeah. I didn't get the, the, the past the HR. I signed the contract, but I didn't do the formal, yeah. like, you know, here's your badge. So the, the guy <laughs> runs onto the set and breaks the news on my show with David Asman, right. that that Tiger Woods was going to re-enter golf. He was coming back. Right. And I got that because I knew one of his sponsors. One of his sponsors was a major bank. That's what I cover. And, you know, landed on my in my, in my lap that day. And I said, what the hell? Let's try to, like, uh, get this on the air right now. And, and my first day when I started, I landed Warren Buffett right. for the very first day. And it had taken years for anyone – on CNBC to land a one-on-one yeah. -on -one serious live sit down. And, and that had been me. So when I left to come to Fox business, Warren had said to me, you know what? I really respect Rupert Murdoch and what he's done. And he's one of these rare geniuses. I'll give you an interview on your first day. So we kind of both really proved that, that we were worth it. So I'm curious to know, you both are very passionate about this field. So what really drives you to wake up every single morning and continue to do the work that you do? For me, it's it's breaking a story. And, you know, I want to be first. I want to beat all these guys on T-Mobile Sprint merger, on this one, on that one, on whether Joe Biden is going to announce that he's running or not. And I want to get it first. I want I, – and I think that – it's kind of weird. I, I mean, I'm old now. That's what drove me when I was at the Bond world. You know what I'm saying? And it's still driving me today. I, I have that sort of competitive sort of feel that I want to win. And if I, uh, if I, don't, if I don't win, I, I, I actually put my head between my legs and, you know, I, I don't – you know, I, I feel like I've uh, I failed. I don't know about Charlie. It sounds like you're the same. I wake up every day and think I want to win. And when I don't – it's like a gut punch. Yeah. And and I would say, whatever you want to do in life, go for your passion so that all you think about when you wake up is, I want to do this. I want to win. I want to, I want to succeed. And whether it's social work or being a surgeon or who knows what, that's what you want to really go for in life because this is not a dress rehearsal and life is too short not to do what thrills you. So your journey is just filled with a lot of different experiences. What can people tuning in learn from this? What advice do you have for them? Well, I, I once gave a speech or like a little seminar at CUNY. You know, uh, CUNY has a journalism City, yeah. school. Mm -hmm. It's the University of New York. And I said, you know, here's what you should do, my view. My view. Th think big. Start small. Yeah. You know, if you're, at Colum if you're in Columbus, Ohio – Think about breaking the biggest story in Columbus that's going to get national headlines. If you're at a weekly newspaper in Peekskill, New York, write about the biggest scandal to affect Peekskill that maybe gets picked up 
by the New York Times. But not only that, that changes people's lives. So think big, mm -hmm. even if you have to think small, start small, and learn your craft. The craft is different today. In the old days, you went to Columbus, you did stand-ups, yeah. you talked to the local sheriff, whatever. Me, it was like doing a lot of writing, you know. Now it's you can't survive in journalism without being able to write, report, go on TV, do a podcast, do radio. It's it's a it's a different business, and try to find a place that's going to give you that. Okay, um, and try to even if it's in a small market, you know, I I don't think people should start out at the top. You know, I saw people at the Wall Street Journal, at a Harvard. I I came there. I had like you know six seven years of experience. Get my head beat in by editors. I kind of was battled hardened already yeah, before yeah. I got to a really tough place. Some of these kids were reduced to tears yeah, early on. Yeah, um, and I would simply quote Babe Ruth: "You can't beat a man or a woman who just won't give up. Just don't give up. Yeah. Doors will slam in your face. Say, okay, I'll go in the side window. Side window's locked. Okay, let me try the basement. You will get a million no's in your life." Accept each one as if it's uh, maybe and just keep fighting. Dave Ramsey, who used, who's the guy who cuts up credit cards, he said sometimes success is nothing more than standing on a mountain at the very top of a million different failures. That's that's what it is. So just absorb it and fight on. Yeah, the old Italians used to say every knock is a push. Ah, oh, that's you know, a good way to think about it. I mean it. these are people that came here and you know, knocked around a lot. And they took it as a push. And uh, that's the way I look at it. I, I've been turned down by so many book publishers and, you know, stuff that, you know, isn't the, even after I was established, I never took it to heart. I just said, all right, yeah. I'm going to come back at you and yeah. do it better the second time. All right. And just for fun. So you may or may not know this, but Liz and Charlie are both gym fanatics. So the people want to know. What's the workout plan, and what playlists are you jamming to along the way? I don't listen to music. Oh, I oh, do. Wow. It's crazy. Wow. I'm totally <laughs> in my own world. And I do a pretty intense workout. I do three days running. One day will be a six-mile run. Two days will be this workout. The Times actually did a story of my workout. I jog a fast mile and a half to the park, this park. I do 10 50-yard dashes. I do 36 sets of pull-ups. 30 on my first set, like three on my last set. I do 18 sets of push-ups, 100 on my first, three on my last, and I jog back. I do that twice or three times a week, and then I do a pretty heavy lifting routine three days a week with, you know, you name it, a lot of free weights. Okay, muscle head. <laughs> that's not muscle head. I that's, do. That's muscle head. Oh that's not. God. That's just sick. You're sick. I'm um, old. I'm old and I can do it still. How old are you? I'm 57. And I, by I'm, the way, I'm I, 55. Have, I have the pain, aches and pains to prove it. <laughs> All right. I, uh, I do two Pelotons a week, and then I do two gym workouts that involve 30 burpees, uh, multiple, multiple uh, core exercises, usually about 40 minutes on the elliptical, or I will walk on the treadmill at a 9% incline. Right. And I'm training for my eighth New York City triathlon to raise money for building homes for heroes. <laughs> well, that'll do it for something that I've wanted to do for a long time. I know. We kept talking. I mean, yeah. I just thought I was going to be out of here sooner, but it's fine. <laughs> Thanks for fun. joining us on Everyone Talks to Liz. 
Kudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Kudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts.